0: Good morning. All right. Uh, my name's Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. For those of you who don't know, welcome. Uh, so glad you chose uh, this wonderfully hot day uh, to join, uh, to step in with us and, and consider who God is. Uh, for those of you who do know, again, I'm excited to continue in our series, uh, um, Jesus is Better. I'm just really excited this morning. Before we do that, just a couple of things. First thing I want us to just say, I had a great week this week on Thursday and Friday. a Number of you from the church—it was just between 35 and 40. I forget the exact number now. Um, stepped out and went to the Global Leadership Summit. It's a great event, put on live in Chicago, simulcast all over the United States, North America has roughly—I was 100 and 100, 200, some odd thousand participants taking that in. Uh, then it's going to go globally, all over the um, all around the world into tough and hard to reach areas. Just absolutely loved it. So. Again, the thing was really cool. I just want to just say, this is an awesome church. Um, I have a number of friends who really desire to get their leaders a part of it. It's a big sacrifice—two days off work. It's not cheap, Um, and so again, I have friends that say, "Man, we—I'd love to get my elders and our leaders here. We just—I just can't do it. I try so hard, and they go through all this stuff to try and make it happen." you know what we do? (laughs) It's so cool. It just reminded me how awesome this church is. Uh, We simply make an announcement in May that says, hey, you don't want to miss it. It's a great thing. And we have 30 to 40 of you say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. So make the sacrifice and step in. I say that too. those of you know some people who went. There are probably some people sitting beside you even right now who went. It was a phenomenal time. Their hearts are full. And here's what I've learned about um, helping that stuff stick and then carried it out is it's best if they talk about it. So Ask them. Ask them how it went. Ask them uh, what they thought of it. And I I think you'll be blessed and know it will help them too. Second thing I want to mention before we jump in. Um, out in the lobby, we have this this book. It looks like this. It's our known journal. Uh, many of you uh, make use of this. It's we're so passionate. It's kind of our secret sauce, if you will, at Bethany. Uh, one of the things that we're passionate about is saying, hey, it's really cool that you come and take in from the Word of God with Chris or I share on a Sunday morning. But what's really important to us is that you do that yourself. Engage with your Creator, the God who loves you, week in and week out on a daily basis. So we help you do that by putting a reading plan that runs with our message series. Uh, and so again, if you're in the current one, we're in page 67 this morning. That one looks green, uh, and you know that in a few weeks that one's empty. So want to grab the new one? Uh, the new one's out there uh, for you this morning. Now, with that said, all that said, uh, we turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. That's on page uh, 1017. If you don't have a Bible, that's the page number of the Bible there in the seats in front of you. We'd also throw out to you if you don't have a Bible, uh, don't have one at home, even take that one home with you. And just encourage you to read that and really, again, explore who God is in those pages. Now, this section is so important. Um, If you've been with us over the summer, we've been working through the book of Hebrews, oftentimes we've been taking full chunks and you say, well, man, this is only four verses. Because these verses are so crucial to how you and I do life. I'm just going to step out on a limb here. I think the majority of you that are here, the large majority of you are sitting here saying, you know what? Why, why I came here this morning? is because I hope in some way to encounter God. I want my faith to be deeper. I want my faith to be richer. In some way, you're saying, yeah, I want and I know that that is important. How do I do it? This morning gives you the how. And I believe if we can learn to apply these passages, uh, you're going to find success in life um, that can that would just blow your mind. And... We'll talk to define that success as we move through this. But read with me if you will, verse one through four. I just kind of follow along here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the faith of the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. i want to pray for us. Join with me, if you will. God, as I read this passage, the truth of these verses, would you help them to set into our hearts? Um, God, I love the promise in scripture that says when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. James chapter 4, resist the devil, flee him, draw near to you, submit to you. God, you're here with us, you promised that. Um, So God, help us to submit, to surrender, to step towards you, no matter where we come from. Help us to put aside our weeks, put aside our cares and our worries and the anxiety, the distress, the... Um, the, the, the places we're thinking of going this week, the places where we've been that we're um, just, God, help us to set it aside, draw close to you and hear from you. All of us, would we hear from you? God, I love the reality that the spirit of God is alive. He's active. He's here. And he talks to each one of us in a unique and special way. Um, God, would the things that I speak, would they be true? <laughs> and the ways that I maybe aren't, uh, help us to have the wisdom to know a different and apply well the things that we're hearing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when you read this passage, you see this imagery of a race. Now, I, I want to just go in record. I think some of you know this about me. But I have never, ever, 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 and you keep going with the evers. I have never run for the sheer pleasure of it. Ever. Now... <laughs> Some of you think you have, and I think you're strange. I just, I don't quite get it, honestly. Matter of fact, when I remember, I'm, I'm not an I'm, I wouldn't call myself an athlete. I played sports and I was moderately athletic. And the, the success I had was just simply because I worked really hard at it. I remember as a young, as a teenage boy, junior high boy, and we're at our football field, the, the cross country course would come down around our practice field. And so here we are in August and the heat like this, and we're out there practicing. And here come these cross country. I used to look at cross country and rub my head and think, no, wait a minute. The thing that we all hate about sports, the thing we hate about practice is what? Running. I'm coaching football right now and they dread the end of practice because it's when we run. And I'm thinking the thing that we all hate, we take and make it a sport within itself. I mean, what is up with this? So I just never understood it. It's like this running. I've never done it for pleasure, ever. Now here's what I've learned. I have some friends that, have, that enjoy running and I've, I've gotten to know them. I've learned often they're not running for the sheer pleasure of it either. I've really begun to learn this. But I've begun to learn, even as I probe into my own heart, if I ever do run, it, it's a rare, and now that I have had this injury, I've got this really cool excuse, I just can't do it anymore, right? It's done. But if I ever do, I've discovered that runners don't often run for the pleasure of it, they run for some kind of reward. You say, reward? Yeah, there's some kind of accomplishment that they want. I've completed the 5K. They set a goal out there. I've gotten the half marathon. I've, got, I've beat my time. Or maybe they're running because they get to run with their friends or their family. So the reward of the running isn't so much the running itself, but it's the, it's the relationships that are being developed. Or I'm running because, you know, I'm going to pull my waistline in a little bit. Or I'm going to get fit or my stronger heart. And I'm going to get healthy. And you know what? Or maybe, maybe I'm just setting out to beat my time. Most of us run... Because we see the reward. And what I've learned is when we lose sight of the reward, that's when we quit. I'm done. I'm out. Maybe never even get into it. That's how Jesus lived life. Jesus did not walk on this earth because he enjoyed life. He was not successful on this earth because he enjoyed life. He, he did at times, but I don't doubt that. But what he really, what he was successful for is because he kept his eyes and he kept focused on a reward, an accomplishment, something that he wanted to get done. Same is true for our Christian lives. In fact, I'd say it this way. Um know kind of sum it up this way. If you have nothing to look forward to, you likely won't finish. In fact, you might start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, I'm in a sick, crazy moment. Yeah, I'm going to run a half marathon. You might start out. But you likely won't finish if you have not set your mind on some kind of goal, on some kind of reward. So with that thought, let's jump in here to this passage. And I want to, again, since there's only four verses, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to kind of dig through, kind of work through some of these words and what they mean. And I hope it really just, again, uh, stretches you and pushes in on you. Verse 1. Therefore... So right away, that word is a very key word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the f- life of faith. So therefore, I don't, I'm i not an English student by, by any stretch of the imagination. English was not my, English was a tough subject for me. But I did learn this. Whenever you see the word therefore, it's therefore. You've got to ask, why is therefore therefore? And whether you're reading Moby Dick or whether you're reading the Bible, when you see that word, what it does is it's linking us back. It's drawing, the writer is saying, okay, because of what I've just said, that builds into something else. So what is he going back to? Well, is it the whole book? Is it the verse before? I believe, look at the rest of the verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So the therefore links back through chapter 11. If you were here with us the last three weeks. We've been working through chapter 11, and we called it, the many, many do, the Hall of Faith. It's like going to Canton, Ohio, and walking down through all the great men and women who have gone before and who have made the sport what it is, and, and the broadcasters and the coaches. And this is like walking through the Hall of Faith. I'm walking down through, through Canton, Ohio, but it's, I'm walking, I'm seeing Moses, and I'm seeing Abraham, and I'm seeing David, and I'm, I'm seeing all these characters that have gone before. So therefore, links us back to this, this chapter 11, which is very important. As we keep this in mind as we work through this. Now, so we have these witnesses. The word witness is interesting to me. What is a witness? So it say. therefore, we have this crowd of witnesses. Well, the witnesses, to be a witness, I think they witness to us. So they're saying, hey, watch my life. This is the way I have lived. So when we considered Moses, for example, last week, we watched the way Moses lived. So we can look in at Moses and we can learn from Moses. But I think witness always c- carries another picture, too. And I think it's, in other words, they're there to witness us. In other words, they're there watching you and I. You say, what? I really believe this. I believe with all my heart. Now, there's other passages. I believe those, those characters are in Scripture. I think they can see down here and what's kind of going on. Look with me at verse 40. I think it builds this thought. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You say, what? Well, no, what's that mean? Have any of you ever gone to a Christian funeral... And then you move from a room like this where often the caskets there and you consider the person's life and then you walk out, uh, like if you're here at this church, we have a graveyard. So you walk out to the graveyard and the pastor begins to read some kind of verses about the dead in Christ rising one day. And they'll oftentimes talk about here lays their body, but their soul is no longer here. There's this teaching in scripture that says where, well, what's, what, help me understand. Well, when a person dies, their soul goes off to be with the Lord, if, if they're a Christian, if they're a believer in Jesus, but their body is still here. The scripture teaches that when Jesus returns, at the end of time, he is going to call the dead in Christ, this is what the scriptures teach, to rise, and now that's when they get their perfect heavenly body. So verse 40, what he's saying is that we've got David and we've got Abraham and we've got Moses and then you can even link into Peter and James and John from the New Testament. You've got all these characters who've gone before who've had their faith in Jesus, who've had their faith in God's promises, who have died, who are off in heaven, but they don't yet have perfection. They don't have their perfect bodies. And so verse 40 says these characters, are these witnesses are up there in heaven looking down. They're linked to us. Our faith is a generational faith. It all runs together. The pro- like, Remember they said they died Died. they did not see the promise come true. So they're up there going, hey, Adam, let's go. They're cheering you on. So picture this, right now the Olympics. You know, I'm watching the Olympics, love the Olympics, waste a lot of time in front of the TV, inspiring me, you know, sitting there. Beach volleyball. Have you ever seen beach volleyball on Copacabana Copa Beach? Beautiful place it looks like. But they dropped this stadium right there in the sand. I mean, it's just kind of cool. Just boom, there it is. Or, or maybe you see the track and field right now, I see that big oval and, and all those... Witnesses watching. What I picture, picture this with me. What I picture is Adam and Eve, Rahab, Moses, Abraham, Noah. I picture Sarah. I picture the Shunammite woman. I picture David, all these Peter, James, and John. I picture them sitting there in that arena. And we're on the track, we're in the sand. And I picture him saying, let's go, you can do this. I picture him cheering us on. I also picture, because uh, Hebrews 11 doesn't name everyone in the Bible, it says there are others. I also picture grandma and grandpa, or grandma, or mom, or dad, the person in your life who had faith in Jesus Christ, who passed it on to you, who are now there, who are there going, you can do this. That's what I picture. As I think about this, have you ever done the thing that you do in front of someone great in the thing that you do? Whether you build houses or operate on people, I I didn't get to do this much in my life. I've done it as a pastor a time or two, or I've preached and someone really well known, a really well known pastor, has been in the crowd. Uh, But the one that most memorable to me was my last football game uh, as as a as a high school student, and again, I was an average athlete. Last game, we're playing Cedar Crest High School. For those of you who know this area, it's up north of us, or north, I guess, uh, west of us i playing Cedar Crest. And in that year, in, the, in the 1994, they had a player who was being recruited by schools all over the place. It was a running back. Uh, and right before the game starts, my head coach comes to me and says, Hey, Adam, there's someone here to see you. And he ushers into the locker room as I've got my game face on, listening to my GNR and welcome to the jungle and all that stuff, uh, you know, getting, getting ready to go. I get interrupted and hear some of you are going, Really? Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> So here's, here they introduced me um, to uh, Frank Reich Sr. Does that name mean anything to any of you? Eagles fans have watched the Eagles preseason game. Frank Reich Jr., the offensive coordinator, of the Eagles. He was the backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills through the 980s and 90s who ultimately got the Bills of the Super Bowl one year. His dad was a coach at a college, not far from here, at a college that I went to a summer camp. Uh, For, along with him, he brings along this this huge big character who walks into this big ring on the national ring from the University of Miami. Who who he was an offensive lineman, in the very position I played. And he comes and says to me, um, hey, Adam, you know, we're here. They weren't there to see me. Let to settle that one right now. They weren't there to see me. They were there. They were saying hi to me because they were at the summer camp with, with me, and they knew of me. Uh, they knew it was my last game. They were just coming to say, way to go. I heard you had a good year, and we're here to see. Oh, by the way, we're here to see the running back on the other team. That's cool. That's fine. Okay. Well, I'm here to tell you, I still have it to this day. I have a newspaper clipping from that game, the only game that I got my name listed once, twice, three, four times in the paper. See, I was an offensive lineman. I never get my name listed in the paper, ever. I played some defense, but I wasn't that good. For some reason, that game, my coach came up to me afterward and says, where was that all your career? I'm like, I don't know. Now, I don't know if it was because, the, I don't know. I can't connect it. I don't, I don't. But oftentimes I find when a person of greatness in your field is sitting there What do you want to do? You want to do your best. I can do it. So picture these people of greatness, of faith, who have gone before you, who are sitting in the arena, who are saying, yes, you can do it. Fight, push hard, run the race. That's what I picture. I think there's a side application. This application doesn't directly come from this text, but I think we can make it here. Uh, The quality and direction of your life is determined by who you surround yourself with. Now, I say that, and especially thinking of the young people in the room, we automatically think of young people, teenagers. You know, the friends you keep, birds of a feather flock together. But let me just talk to the old people in the room. I'm old. I'm getting old. I'm in that group. I'm no longer a teenager. This is true for us too. Who are your heroes? Who are you looking to? Who are you bringing around your life? You know, you got negative people around you, you're negative. You got people that aren't grateful, you're not grateful. You've got people who cheat, steal, and lie. Guess what you're tempted to do? You're a good person, but you've got, to, you've, so again, I would just say that cloud of witnesses, there they are. They're cheering you on. Picture it. Picture it. You're in the arena. You're playing hard. You're, you're, you're going at life. You've got people there cheering you. Then I'd say living. Who's living surrounding you? Now, let go back to the text. Keep reading here. So we're, therefore, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So it links us back to chapter 11. Then he's going to go on. Let us strip off every, here's our next word, weight that slows us down. Weight. So it says, get rid of the weight. Now, to illustrate this, I brought this book bag along. Now, in this book bag, I loaded it. This, it's loaded with these big, thick theology books. I mean, these they just went to my shelf and pulled all these. I mean, it's loaded. This thing's got some weight. In fact, when I put him in, I was like, wow, that's some weight. Now, there isn't a one of you in this room that runs. So you go out for a 5K next weekend, and that's heavy. There's not a one of you that's saying, hey, I'm going to run with weight. Now, you may train with weight. I'm a football coach. I've trained kids with weight. You put weight on to make yourself faster and stronger. But none of you in your right mind will head out to a race this weekend thinking that you're going to win it loading 50 pounds on your back. So the writer says, strip off the weight. Now, continue reading because it's interesting, especially the sin. Now, so I I draw this picture here. So we're going to talk about what the sin is. But I don't think the weight is referring to sin. I think the weight is referring to good stuff possibly, stuff that may not be right or wrong, stuff that may not be the best choice, but it's slowing you down. It's not helping you cross the finish line first. You know, maybe it's the, the, the there's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not watch this or thou shalt not go there or thou shalt not listen to that music. But you know, I'd ask the question: Is it helping you run your race? Is it really helping you? And so the writer says, "Hey, get off, strip." it. Matter of fact, let me take us a step further. The word itself, "wait." I'm not a Greek student by any stretch of imagination. Like I said, I struggle with English. Forget, it, let alone Greek. The Greek tools that I lean into say that the word weight, here's what the word weight is actually referring to. It's The, the Greek word that's used is referring to obesity or excessive fat. Isn't that cool? So strip it off. In other words, a runner wants a slender down. They want to, you know, I've got 20 or 30 extra pounds in my frame right now that I should, probably shouldn't have there. Now, you've got a runner who, who strips themselves of that weight. So as I think about this, what does it take to get the fat off? It takes discipline. You know, spending time with your God, praying, reading, at times of solitude and silence, fasting. You go through all these spiritual disciplines, and I'll hear people say to me, oh, Adam, that's so legalistic. That's some kind of rule-driven religion, duty, blah, blah. No, I'm not doing it because I'm trying to earn something from God. I'm doing it because I love God, and I want to know him more. And it's foolish for me to think I'm going to get in shape for the run if I'm not disciplining myself to pull the weight back. So again, now, keep reading, the sin. The sin. So get rid of the weight. Then it says the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, pay attention to your English there, the sin. Why does it say the sin? Because in the the original language, there's a specific article. But the writer doesn't define the sin. So what is the sin? Okay, great question. Go back to verse 1. Therefore, so there's a link back through chapter 11, right? What was chapter 11 all about? Those of you who were here last couple of weeks there's one word begins with an f what was it all about faith belief trusting god's promises so what is the sin going back to chapter 11 it's the opposite of that it would be unbelief i believe with all of my heart the sin it's being referred to as unbelief i would say it this way unbelief in the promises of god is the root that sustains the life of any and every sin in yours and my life now, you want to beat those sins? We've got to get into the roots, kill the roots. I'm amazed. That I've, I'm amazed. This heat, this crazy heat. I still have these little green plants coming up in the middle of our concrete. I'm like, where do these things Are you kidding me? If I'm going to get them out, I've got to get down into the roots. So the root that sustains our, our sin is, is, I believe, unbelief. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Because you say, Adam, I'm not sure about that. Let me illustrate. Think of some of the promises of God. Matthew chapter 6, one promise. It says, hey, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's a command. Don't worry about where tomorrow's bread and food and clothing are coming from. Now I don't know about you, but that's a hard one for me. You know, because I'm sitting there and thinking, man, I know my savings account's not real deep. Let's see, in a week and a half, I've got to pay my mortgage and I've got this. I'm trying to always jock, jockey for position, pay this bill, pay that. And I'm thinking, I'm a little anxious, I'm a little nervous. But the passage says, do not worry. Then it gives us the promise. It says, you see the birds? Take a look at the birds. They're not made in the image of God. We are. The birds are not near as precious to God as we are, the text says. The birds are taken care of. Can we not then understand that God will take care of us, the passage says? And then it says, seek first the kingdom of God and then the promise. Some of you know it. And what's it say? Some of you know it. All these things will be given or added unto you. What are all these things? Well, you go back. Food, clothing, money to pay the bills. Now, it's a promise. You know what happens when we don't trust that promise? Comes time to fill out the expense report. My boss will never know that that was a personal trip. And you know what? I actually, you know, I actually, you know, I was thinking about business as I was heading there. I'm going to put in my expense report. My boss will never know. You know what? <laughs> the accountant, it's time to do taxes. The government, they, they don't need my money anyway. they got enough of it. They'll, they'll never know if I, if I, you know, withhold here or change that. Or They'll never know. And you know what? The chances of me getting audited is, is when's that going to happen? And you go on down the list. Why do we sin in that way? It's because we do not trust that God will take care of us. So I've got to step in and take control. Okay, maybe that's not yours. Here's another one. Let me go with another one. How about Jesus when he says, hey, I am enough for you. We doubt that. So we step in to prove ourselves and to be someone. And then that pride rears up and destroys relationships. Or maybe Jesus' message of you are accepted. You're accepted. Jesus accepts you. If you put your faith in him, he accepts you. But, oh, I doubt that. So when I got together with all my friends, we start gossiping and slandering and talking about them. All the time I'm talking about them, it's to, it's to get my friends to form their allegiance to me. Gossip and slander is often rooted because I just don't trust the promises of God. Here's a big one. Romans chapter 8 gives one of the coolest promises. It says, all things work together for the good of those that love God. Think about that. How many things. All things. You know, Christians, we as Christians have a really hard time with that one. All So there isn't a thing in your life that you faced, will face, have faced, period, that God is not in some way going to bring good from it. In some way. The abuse you endured, the divorce you went through, the death you experienced, the illness The battle that you're facing, in some way, God says, all things work together for the good. What I find what happens is we doubt that, and then we get negative. Crotchety, if you will. You hear that word, crotchety? That's a good word. (laughs) Or we begin to lack gratitude. Everything you have, God is working. We begin to doubt that. Then what I even find, not only do we get negative and we lack gratitude, then we even begin to justify it by saying things like, I'm just a realist. I'm just being honest. no. You're just a grumpy old man, and it needs to be called out because you've lost perspective on the promise that God gave you. Again, oftentimes, and here's the final one I'll give you. This is I'm passionate about this. You know the Scriptures teach of every single human being that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that? Psalm 139 says it clearly. In your mother's womb, God formed you. God was actively making you. So why is it that we look in the mirror and hate what we see? Why is it that we get on social media and scroll through and begin to covet something else? You know, let's go a step further. Those of you then that are Christians, not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, God says he has started a good work in you and he will carry it to the completion. He also says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says you are a good work. I love you. I've made you with a purpose and I've created good works for you. It also says that you are gifted. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are gifted. I can't tell how many Christians I walk around that have no purpose in life, have no direction, and they look in the mirror and they covet something else and they want something else, and I say, you can make a difference. No, not me. And then we talk to them and we think, well, they're just so humble. See, they're just not proud. The summit this week I heard one of the greatest truths in humility I've ever heard. Humility is looking in the mirror and acknowledging with the truth of God. And when God looks at you and says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, when God looks at you and says you are gifted, it is not pride to stand up and say, God has gifted me to speak. God has gifted me to lead. God has gifted me to serve. God has gifted me to show mercy. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. But so often we cut, we, we check out, we move to all kinds of stuff because we are so ashamed of who we are. Why? Because we doubt the promise of God. Rooted Rooted in most of our sin is this struggle to embrace the promises that God says of us and for us. In the text, look at this next thing. So, get rid of the weight that slows us down, especially the sin that's so easily so so what? Say this with me. So easily, turn turn to your neighbor. Just say it's easy. Just go ahead, tell him. Say it's easy. <laughs> Do you know what I find? I don't know where we get this thinking. We, I don't know where as Christians, we think, yes, I have Jesus. It's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. It's not easy. Can I just maybe tell you that? It's a secret. It's not easy. Why are we so surprised when we hear of Christians falling to these horrendous sins? Oh, my word, they were a pastor. Oh, my word, they were a Christian leader. Oh, my word. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can believe it. I'm not shocked. It's pretty easy. Have grace towards them. Have grace towards yourself. Let's build on this. Look, look what else it says. So easily trips us and let us run with, here's our next word, endurance. The word endurance is this great word. It means steady determination to keep going. Even when everything in you says slow down or stop. I'm coaching midget football right now, these little guys, you know, anywhere from fifth to seventh grade. And our goal this week was just to simply get them in shape, My Inside, I have a few players here, so i got to be careful how I say this, but my, my real goal was to get them to vomit and throw up. You know, that's really what I'm going for. <laughs> anyway, don't, don't tell them that. Didn't happen. None of them did it, uh, which is, I'm, medically is probably a good thing. So I'm <laughs> avoiding lawsuits and other problems. But anyway, so I watched some of these kids that were clearly sitting around all summer long and doing nothing. Now they're out there. Watch this one kid literally crawling on his hands and knees, just like, I can't go any. No, you got to get up and keep going. I can It's so hard. Endurance is in those moments saying, I will not quit. I'm not going to slow down. I'm not going to give up on my team. I'm not going to give up on, I'm going to keep moving. Now, the next word I want you to key in, run with endurance the race God has set before us. The Greek word, I want you to write it down. I didn't put it up on screen because I want you to literally write this down and look at it with your own eyes. Here's the word. I'm gonna spell it. The Greek letters translated to English letters. A G O N. Go ahead and look at it on your paper. A G O N. What do you see? Some of you said it. (laughs) Add a letter to that. What letter do you add? Y, and you have agony. Is that crazy? So the race that we're running is not easy. As a matter of fact, it is this, it's this gutter, it's not, it's not a passive luxury like most of our 5Ks that we get to run. This is life and death stuff. The word is literally referring to a marathon. It's agony. It's it's hard. You got it takes this, isn't just stepping in for a luxurious 5K run. This is we gotta do this. Now, verse two, the verse two gives us how. We do this. And this is, if you were here last week, this is exactly what we talked about last week. So we're actually going to review last week in, in this verse. We do this by keeping our eyes where? Where do you keep your eyes? See it? I do this by keeping my eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. You want to win the race? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus in on Jesus Christ. He is the one, he is the only one who has run the perfect human race. He lived without sin. He is the only human who completed the perfect human race. All others died, it said in chapter 11, and never saw the promise come true. Jesus Christ, it's not true of. Keep your eyes on him. Now, I meet with a team of people I love these people. I love them. Those of you who know who you are, uh, meet with me on Monday to help me illustrate these messages. Um, it's just a real gift to me. Uh, so if you ever, whenever you say, hey, Adam, thank you for the message, I just want you to know I would thank them too When you're in your mind. Thank God for them. Uh, so we are talking about how do we illustrate this, guys? How do we help this go home? So, we're, of course, the Olympics are going on. So we, talk about, we could talk about the races and how a runner runs. We kind of talked. There's one you could talk about plowing a field and how you, how you keep that nice furrow straight. You look ahead. We talked about flying an airplane. You know, you keep an airplane, you know, it gets up, and it, it sets itself on its goal, and it, it makes adjustments all through to focus on that goal. And then someone said, how about archery? I said, Archery? So I to ask, I loved it. it was, the more we talked, I, I thought, you know what, let's talk about archery. So I, don't have, I can't talk about archery. <laughs> you don't want me talking about archery. It's a scary world to talk about archery. I, did, I do have a trophy. When I was like 10 years old, I did win an archery trophy. I went into my son's room last night. I thought he still had it. He apparently threw it away. He was not impressed. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, I couldn't find it. But you don't know want me to talk about it. So I'm going to ask Corey Eppinett. Corey, if you're going to come up here. Corey knows a thing or two about archery. So I'm going to have him talk to us about archery. And I think you'll see, just even if you're not into archery, learn something about archery. This is kind of cool. His bow and arrow. So Corey, we'll start with you can say hello. Just Hello. Nice work. Thanks. <laughs> tell, tell us something about yourself. Just whatever you want to share. Okay. Um, well,
1: my name is Corey Epponett. And I like to hunt. Archery is one of my big passions. Um, I've been shooting a bow, I guess, since I was probably eight or nine years old. Did you ever get a cool trophy when you were eight or nine? I had a few, yeah. Ah.
0: I threw mine away, too. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, it's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Now, um, the first time I met Corey, uh, one of the first times, uh, you started attending here about the same time I did. Is that right? Yeah, maybe a couple months after. Yeah, Yeah. So, we... We're both new, so let's right. figure this thing out together. Yep. Uh, so we head out to eat, and we came back to your house. I'll never forget this. Come down to your basement where you live then. And, guys, I walked in his basement, and I immediately wanted to leave his basement. No lie. There were, I don't know how many sets of eyeballs just looking at me off the wall. There were animals from Africa. There were, I mean, you've killed a lot of, a lot of animals. Yeah. You're I a mean, truly avid, passionate hunter, yes. so, which is awesome. That's really cool how you've done that. Now, so you've got this bow here. Can you talk us through... Okay, we got a target up here. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna put a target, a, an arrow in that bullseye. Hang and I'm, I'm gonna stand back there. That's we'll see. <laughs> this is so cool. When I called Corey, I said, "Can you like stand in the back and go, like shoot it right up? He's like, "No, we can't do that." I'm like, "Why not?" I said, well, "How about how about flames? We get flames on this thing." <laughs> I've almost burned a church down once. So that's not a good idea. So anyway, so he's gonna do it in a way that we're all safe. I promise. Um, yes. But anyway, can talk us through. Again, how how okay. to put that arrow there?
1: Yep. Um,
0: so it basically all starts
1: with with the hand that holds a bow. You you actually don't hold it when you pull the string back. It just rests in your hand, so that keeps it that keeps it loose and it just kind of floats out there. So then you control everything, which kind of is counter to what we would think. Yeah, because you would think you want to yeah grip yeah exactly it. Yep. hold on to it. Yep. If you grip it, it won't hit it what you're aiming at. Yeah. You know you, you will miss. So um, this thing that's on my wrist, that's called a release. You want me to hold this for you? you yeah, can, sure. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Thanks. Um, this, this release kind of hooks on this little loop here, and that's how, that's how you pull it back. Yeah. And then it has a trigger on it kind of like And it. how many
0: pounds is this? This is uh, 75. 75 pounds. 75 pounds. Yep. So I'd probably struggle.
1: No, I'm sure you <laughs> You got it. You got it. <laughs>
0: it might be a little awkward. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm thank sure you could get it. I'm sure it. I could. yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so, um, basically this other, this thing here is called a, um, a kisser. And when you, when you pull it back, that, that goes right here on mm. your lip. Okay. So that's one of your anchor points. And then this is called a peep sight. Yeah. You look through that and line it up with your sight. Yeah. And for those
0: of you that aren't up here, I mean, I'm looking at this. So those of you who've never shot a bow, this is this little, there was a little tiny hole right there in that thing. It's just, you got to get your eyes looking, focusing down through that. That's kind of cool. So,
1: so once you pull that back, you put your kisser here, you look through your peep sight, then I rest, I rest my hand on my jaw. So there's basically three anchor points that I know that's lined up. You know, you practice, you know, thousands of times to, to find your anchor points. And once you have them, you, if you keep them, it'll shoot true. Sure.
0: Now... Yeah. And then what are you looking at then out there? Is you're, you're obviously you're looking, it goes without saying, but you're
1: you're looking at a target or or a deer or something, and yeah, and and you want you know if you if you're shooting an animal, you want to aim for the smallest. You want to pick out something tiny on that animal and aim for it. Yeah, whether it be like the crease, like right behind their leg. There typically there's a there's a line there. You know, try to aim for something yeah. something in that area.
0: Now, as we were talking this week, uh, you shared a story that. Um, it kind of illustrated this beautifully. Could you mind? I, I know it's not, a, it's not a glowing, wonderful Corey moment, but would you mind sharing it? Because I think it illustrated this so beautifully. You mean the one that I missed? Yes. Yeah. I know. And, you, mm-hmm. and, you, I, and I, you.
1: I'd rather talk about the uh, ones I shot.
0: I know. There's, <laughs> I already talked about them. They're all hanging in your basement. We know about them. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, so um, I'm fortunate to hunt in Iowa, which in Iowa there's some really big deer most people um, shoot re- most big deers in Iowa or, or Illinois. Um, and the, I've been on this same property for maybe eight years, and we run trail cameras and, and try to get pictures of the deer so we know what, which ones we want to shoot and whatnot. So I was sitting in my tree stand one day, and here come this deer that, that we've been seeing for like two years. And he, mm. he's an absolute giant, the biggest deer I've ever seen, and here he comes. He's walking towards me. So I reach out and grab my bow. And he, and he kind of, he's going to walk underneath my tree. I could jump on him, like directly <laughs> he, underneath you should have done that. I should have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there he is. And, and he, uh, he walks across the scent of my boots from walking in, which them boots have never touched concrete, blacktop, mm. nothing, mm-hmm. just woods. Yeah. He still smelled them. Yeah. Uh, you know, who knows why or how. Um. So he takes off, and I yell at him, you know, kind of like a man. I don't know if you ever heard that. I did. Yeah. Never? No. I did. Yeah, I'm, just, did? Okay. I'm just, I'm <laughs> just smiling.
0: <laughs> it's like a so, mating call, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, mating. Um. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's what it is. Yeah, is. You're sure. yeah. Kind of like you do I mean, with like Amy. a grunt. We do with your wife.
1: Well, it's not. We don't want to talk <laughs> about that up here. <laughs> Boy, she's downstairs. Good, I know. She was up here first about that. We yeah. can talk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so um, you do that to try to get them to stop. Sure. You know, hopefully sure. they think it's another deer and they stop. And he did. And he stopped and about one second later I shot. I missed. I wasn't aiming on that crease. I don't mm. know where I was aiming.
0: Yeah, just so caught up <laughs> yeah. in the moment. It was,
1: it, everything happened so fast. I, I was not focused. Um, pulled the trigger too fast. And, and sure. the arrow literally skipped off the top of his back. It didn't hit and him. And off he went. It, it just kind of maybe cut the hair on the top of his back. Sure. And he ran down the hill, and I've never seen him again. Ah. Uh, yeah.
0: Now, um, Corey's going to shoot for us. Uh, you're going to stand right down here, right? Yeah. And I'm going to move. Are oh, you should. The team, the team. Yeah, the team yeah. I told Corey this. The team like, had this idea of me holding an apple out or putting it on my <laughs> head or something. And I'm like, guys, do you love me or what? I mean, come on. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm not going to do that. So yeah. I'm going to get out of the way for you. And the target's up there, so mm-hmm. we're going to let you. You want me to hold that? You, yeah. You, you yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> now, I told Corey in first service, he's never shot in front of a crowd like this. So that, no, I You have, so I can't say that anymore because you did it in first service, so you'll... <laughs> Look at that. Right in the middle. Woo! Give Corey a round of applause. <laughs> now, I really appreciate Corey doing that. I mean, I think it illustrates, I think it illustrates what we were talking about so beautifully. Even if you think about him missing that, miss—he shot how many times? And he gets that, that deer is there, and I just think, you know, it's so easy to lose focus. It's so easy not to get all those things lined up and be focusing on the things that you know to focus on. It's so easy to do. I love how he talks through and how you get all that lined up. You got to keep that focus straight down the line, get all those pieces lined and, and just keep your eyes dead center in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to end with this thought. This is what we talked about last week. So you keep your eyes on Jesus and look at what it says about Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, here's the key. Because of the, what's it say? What's the word? Joy. Because of the joy. Now, you think, oh, wait a minute, the joy? The joy? Jesus didn't have joy. He got nailed to a cross. But look what it says in the New Living. I love the way the New Living renders. Because of the joy, where is the joy at? Is the joy here? Was the joy here for Jesus? No. It says the joy was waiting for him. So here's the picture. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. Some of you know the story. For those of you who don't, here's how it works. Jesus Christ, is three years he's hanging out with his buddies, his disciples. He takes three of them with him into this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Within 24 hours, he knows he is going to have his arms stretched out with nails stuck through them. He's going to have his feet pulled together with nails stuck right through his feet. He knows he's going to be whipped and bloodied and beaten. More than that, he knows that's, that's horrendous, the death that he experienced. The, the, the shame of that. He's going to be stripped naked and hung on this cross as people make fun of him and laugh at him and say horrendous things about him and to him. He understands all of it. More than that, he understands he's about to face the wrath of God, which he's never in his mind even imagined facing. He's always been like this with God, perfect union with, the, with his father. So here he is in the garden. He's, he's, he says, guys, come pray with me. And he's in incredible agony. So much agony as he's praying, he's so worked up over this that physiologically his body begins to, to, to produce out of his pores, it looks like blood. He's like literally sweating, looks like blood. He's that worked up. And his prayer goes something like this. It's recorded in the in the gospel records. It says, it says, God, please, please, if there's any other way to do this, can we do it? Now, what carried him from that point to the cross and beyond? What did it? What does this passage say? There was a reward out there. Same thing we learned about Moses last week. There's a reward out there. If you don't keep your eyes on the reward, you're not going to finish the race. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know what carried him through? What carried him through is me. I'm such a lovable guy. He wanted to die for me. Jesus loves people. What carried him to the cross is his love of people. Jesus loved people. And Jesus came to live and to die to conquer sin and death. But that's not what ultimately carried him through his most intense moment of agony. Do you know what carried him through? His God. He wanted the reward of what was promised him. Here's the verse I want to read to you, and this is what will carry us home. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, it says this. The writer Paul is describing what happened. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So that's the command, and here's the attitude he had. Here's his mindset, if you will. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. And then look at verse 9. Verse 9 is the home run. Therefore, because he did this, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, God elevated him. And our passage in Hebrews says he's now seated beside So it's God saying, Jesus, I know. I think as he's praying in the garden, he says, Jesus, I know. Push through. It's my will. It has to be done. Trust me. Trust my promise. You're going to sit down beside me, son. You're going to sit down. And then all of humanity will bow down to you. Hold tight, son. Hold tight. That's what carried him to the cross. That's what pushed him through the agony that's what helped him complete the race, knowing that he's going to conquer sin and death. Here's the way I'd end with this. Look at those remaining verses. I love verse 3 and 4. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, verse 4, I almost—I can't read verse 4 without a smile. I, and sometimes I just chuckle at it. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. You know what verse 4 is saying? If you're not dead, you're not done. I face hardship, you face hardship. The hardship I face at times is because I'm just foolish. I've sinned, I've done something wrong, I've hurt people. I've made bad decisions. So at times it can be argued the hardship that I'm crying over, that I'm broken over, that I'm, that I'm laying before God saying, God, please help me. It can be argued, Adam, you kind of deserve it, dude. <laughs> I mean, you kind of walked into this one. Jesus never had that. None of you in this room are dead, at least that I'm aware of. I see some of you sleeping, but most of you, I think, are awake, right? You're not dead. If you're not dead, you're not done. Push on. It's hard. It's not easy. It's easy to fall. Push on. Here's the way I'll end with this picture. Watching the Olympics right now. And this isn't because I'm patriotic. Forget America. I'll take any country. That wins a gold medal. I love this picture. What happens? Okay, you have this this platform, you got the one that sets a little higher, then you got the gold or the silver and the bronze off to the left and to the right. And you have this athlete who walks up on this podium. And what, what do you see happen? Right? He he he, will, he or she will often bend over. They they almost like bow in humility as the official comes over and drapes this beautiful cord around their neck with hanging on it this gold medal. And then they stand up tall. Almost always you watch them, their chest is, I mean, I think it's a proud moment. And rightfully so. They're humble. They know what's been accomplished. And then the national anthem begins to play, and we love it. So the cameras zoom in on it. They come right in. I mean, in our HD screens now, I mean, they come right in on their face. And what do you see every time, almost every time? You see tears. Why are they crying? What are the tears? Are they sad? They're not sad. They're standing there saying, I did it. The reward is mine. I did it. 1 Corinthians 9, you're going to read it in your reading plan this week, so I'm not going to steal the thunder. But Paul says there, when we step into the ring to run the race, we don't step in to get silver and bronze, we step in to win. Picture yourself standing as Jesus did. Jesus pictures the reward standing before your creator, bending over as he takes the ribbon and hangs it around your neck with the gold medal, and he looks down at you and begins to play the anthem and says, welcome home. Well done. As I go to prayer, I just want to keep in mind what I'm talking about here in Romans chapter 12 is not runners earning their way into heaven. I'm not talking about people performing so they have eternal life. Eternal life is yours in the person of Jesus by faith in him, period, end of story. What I'm talking about then is once you're a believer in Jesus, you don't want to scrape yourself across the finish line. You want to stand there like those Olympic medalists do and hold your chest out and look at your Savior in the eye and hear, well done. I've never met a Christian that that doesn't resonate with. Well done. You come home. The reward is yours. God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. God, I everything in me, I've been praying all week. I just uh, can't pray passion enough for every person in this room. So I look at the news, God, and it is so disheartening in our country and around the globe, the, the carnage, the the darkness. God, it seems like we're losing. God, it's hard to run the race. God, my heart goes out to song. I just pray, fervently I pray for those of us in this room that say I'm a believer in Jesus. God, would we have the courage to keep our eyes focused on the target, focused on the reward, running the race, surrounded with our witnesses, cheering us on. Help us, God. Help us to do it. Do it well. God, the final thing I pray is I just cry out to you for those in this room that have questions on whether they'd even spend eternity in heaven. God, I'm so thankful that they've stepped in here this morning. It's a scary place to be for someone with doubts and, and skeptical thoughts and wrestling. So, God, would you honor them just by right now drawing them to you, hearing your voice. Just knowing without a shadow of a doubt that they're a sinner and they're separated from you, but you love them, so you sent Jesus. And by their simple acknowledgement of their sin and putting their trust and faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they can too walk into heaven's throne room one day and have the opportunity to hear Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. So God, I pray for that person right now that's sitting here, that's uncertain. God, would you speak to them? Would they hear you? God, we love you. Help us to focus on Jesus. Help this church to do that. Help us not to cower and shrink back, but to step forward, running the race well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.